Welcome to Side Talks, the Side Talks podcast. <laughs> Corey can't speak right now because he's laughing. Dumbstruck. I'm trying to do like an Alan Thick kind of thing. Like a we need an intro jingle. Side Alan Talks. Thicke? Yeah, I'm sorry. Robin? No, Alan, his father, wrote the Growing Pains song. Like, Wait, really? Yes. Robin Thick comes from a musical household. Where Alan Thick could have could have fooled me. <laughs> <laughs> side talk. Welcome to the Side Talk podcast. Everybody has now tuned out <laughs> and they unsubscribe have, they have and throw their phones into a ravine. Yeah. Okay, so let's get really serious then, Corey. What do we talk about on this podcast? We talk about cinema. Um, I guess we should introduce ourselves. I'm I'm Robin <laughs> Thick. I am a programmer for the Sidewalk Film uh, Center in Cinema. And I am Alan Thick. I am. <laughs> Oh, let's just stop right there. Let's just talk about movies. We're better at that than anything else we could possibly yes, do, Papa, I think. Yes, Papa, let's do it. Get ready for a five-minute fight. Five-minute round one fight. Five-minute fight. It's time for that, for the five-minute fight. For the five-minute fight. Before Brad starts the clock, though, I just want to say something. Okay. Um. And I don't want this time burned up with my argument here. And that is that on my way here, I had a coffee and a water. I can't just have one drink. I always have sure. to have multiple drinks. You have to have multiple so drinks. So I had a coffee and a water. And I turned the corner and there was a truck like in the oncoming lane. Yeah. And I had to like swerve a little bit, which caused the entire thing of water to go into my seat, which I couldn't really do anything about because I'm driving, right? right? And then on top of that, I like tried to reach for a napkin and spill my coffee on my knees. And it also went onto my notes that were in my pocket. Okay. So I'm pretty sure it's that Spielberg, who we're arguing about today, the Spielberg team put that fucking truck there. <laughs> it was a conspiracy to conspirize, to conspire, to wet up my notes. Even if, <laughs> even if that weren't true, though, um, I, w- I, would, I would actually say that's the universe preemptively punishing oh, you for a bad take. True. Okay, Brad, go ahead and start the timer. Five-minute fight. Steven Spielberg. Uh, this is the director of my favorite movie of all time, uh-huh, um, uh-huh. one of the sort of preeminent American directors. And I know where you're going to come from, <laughs> you know, with this. I know what you're, you're going to do. Getting riled up. You are going to say that Steven Spielberg uh, gives into his base sentimental impulses in a lot of his films, which I'm not going to argue with. Of course, he does. You know, he has a, a couple movies, Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, that are kind of undone by a couple of sentimental touches that he adds. But I will still argue that despite this, he is still one of the cinema's most preeminent craftsmen. Okay. That he understands cinema on such a basic level that everything he makes mm. is thrilling and worth watching just as a master class of where to put the camera and how to move it. Okay. I'm a provocateur. Okay, go ahead and So provoke. I know that I I know that everybody's gonna get mad, so go ahead and get angry. Um I am yes, I am going to take down the the legend, the greatest filmmaker of all time. Well, the he's great, not, but he directed no, the best Orson film of Wells all time. is but he's the greatest living filmmaker of all time, right? That's I what people even, think. I don't agree with that. So either, anyway, sure. regardless, here here you're right. You just you just sort of made an argument for me, and yes, it gets too saccharine, it gets too sweet. He can't help himself but to indulge in this sort of like fantasy world of bullshit. Like it's just too damn – it's too saccharine. But 
I'm actually going to say something else, which is that he makes a lot of films I don't want to see. Mm. Okay? I don't want to see War Horse. Well, I don't. okay. I don't want to see The Adventures of Tintin. Oh, that's a really good one. I don't want to see Bridge of Spies. Bridge of Spies rules. What's wrong with you? I don't want to see B- the BFG. I'm bored before I even get into the cinema. I know they're going to be 45 minutes too long. No. He makes films that are 45 minutes too it's long. It's not true. He makes films that are dull and boring. Now, listen. Okay. I love Raiders. I love Jaws. I love E.T. I, I love A.I. I like the color purple. He shouldn't have directed that probably. I mean, he should have let, shouldn't have, but, let somebody but else did, direct it. But he did, and it's pretty did. good. I do not like Minority Report. I find that to be most unpleasant. I disagree. I do not like War of the Worlds. It's a piece of shit film. It's not that bad. I do not like Hook. It's a mess. Hook is terrible. Terrible. I actually, get ready, get ready. I don't like Jurassic Park. It's Too bad. fine. It's not great. I don't like... Catch me if you can. That's a long list of films I don't like that I find boring, that I find dull, that I find to be. Um, yes, they do, they're too saccharine, absolutely, but like they're just ooh, like okay, overly Dollsville. You mentioned AI as tedious. a movie that you like, and yeah. AI is a movie that right. I like a lot as well. I think it's a terrific movie. Every time he sort of breaks free from that sort of saccharine uh, mm. thing that he's known for, Thanks, like Kubrick, like with AI or like with something like. Empire of the Sun. Uh, people don't come see those movies. So he falls back on the sort of crowd-pleasing thing. People don't like AI. People should like AI, but they it's don't. It's a great film. AI is terrific. But it um, has Kubrick's fingerprints all over sure, it. Sure, 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 sure. I, I mean, it's it's a good melding of their two sensibilities. I mean, but again, my argument is, I mean, despite the fact that you find a bunch of great movies boring, which I can't help you with, I don't know what there, – there's so nothing that can wait, be done about that. So wait, hold up. Are, is your position that Minority Report is a great Minority movie? Minority Report Ooh. is a great movie. Lincoln is a great swipe. movie. Bridge of Spies Imaginary is a great swipe movie. left. Sure. Swipe away. But but these are all great movies and you haven't addressed my point, which is you know, even in these <laughs> so-called – he is better than competent. He's a, he's a, he makes films. He's an he excellent does a good director. job at making films. The if films you, that he makes, about half of his list of, of – like also I dare you to just scroll through the EP credits because he should be arrested for some of the shit that he's EP. Sure. Go to jail, Spielberg. Go it, to jail. Irrelevant. But, irrelevant. Well, I mean, maybe. But I mean, we, you're right. You're right. We're talking about him as a director. I just – it's a long list. He's very prolific. I wish he would – I wish he wouldn't spend so much time making movies and focus on just a – just a, like less and really put focus on – yes, he can make movies. I'm not denying that. Yes, I know that I'm just like crushing the dreams of so many, you know, young white men out there. Oh, my God. That I know. I know. I know. Yeah. But, won't somebody think of the young white men? <laughs> I'm, uh, I mean, I know it's breaking hearts that I'm saying all this, but I'm telling you that for every film that he's made that I like that's good, he's made one that's tedious, mm-hmm. Dollsville, 30 minutes too long. So is he a good director? Yes, absolutely. I'm not going to deny that. But sh- does he deserve the place that he's been given where he's just untouchable? No one can even say bad things about Spielberg. Let him alone. It, no, he hasn't earned that position. I'm sorry, but he he's, hasn't. He's made bad movies. But if you look at the movies, even like these flawed movies that have been elevated to the canon, like Schindler's List, like Saving Private Ryan, there are moments in those movies. I mean, the he bulk EP'd of those Harry and the Hendersons. He EP'd Harry and the Hendersons. The bulk of those movies are extraordinary. I know Time's Up. Jaws is my favorite movie. So Damn. this is, this is uh, you know, I'm angry. I mean, I'm not that angry. <laughs> like, I don't know what point you made other than it's kind of boring sometimes. Okay, no, sure. No, I made, I made a lot of points. I made, I mean, do I really need to review, give you the cliffs notes of this? Because it's you, but, but Dullsville. Bridge, but Bridge of Spies is terrific. 
No. I mean, it's, we can I, argue I'm about what that I'm one. What I'm trying to tell you is that I don't even want to see them. I re, I like, Ugh. I see these, I see like War Horse and I'm like, oh God, I mean, do well, I have like, to watch War Horse? War Horse isn't a great example because War Horse is a a, a pretty okay movie uh, at I best. I watched Hook. I saw Hook in the theater. I sure, want, Hook I want, sucks. I want the seven. <laughs> Sam, get in here. Just I want my 17 hours back. Hook, that's been Hook, Hook. Sucks. Hook sucks. Hook is the Hook is, Hook a, is terrible a Rachel movie. Morgan. Hook is fault. a terrible movie. How but I'm old sorry were you don't want to see when you saw Hook though. A child. What? Yeah. And you didn't like it? No. Oh. Well, never mind. <laughs> Hook is a bad movie. I'm not going to argue that point, but I'm sorry that you don't want to see Bridge of Spies because it doesn't have like <laughs> extreme skateboard action or whatever it is that you look for in a movie. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Uh, mm. Sam. I need a whistle. I'm not or even. I'm, I don't even have to defend myself against that. <laughs> well, the initial thing I, well, the first thing I wrote down in my notes was Rachel loses 500 points and gets another cup of water spilt on her because <laughs> 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 just my instinct at the start um, for trying to fight against Steven Spielberg. Um, it feels like you're going against Tom, going against Tom Hanks again. Yeah, um, <laughs> um, like Corey said, it's the uh, he has the base sentimental instincts that he really plays into. And that he understands cinema on such a basic level, it can be universal for everyone. And so I think he has made enough good films, even though they are just a select handful of his entire discography, where he has earned that reputation of being in the canon, of being that of the one of the greatest film directors. Um, and Rachel thinks he's too saccharine and sweet, um, but then they're Saving Private Ryan. Um, I don't know. Uh, and. I kind of I have to agree with Rachel saying he should make less movies and not be so prolific. He's just it's almost more he's focusing more on quantity not quality, but the few of the, the handful that he has made are of that extreme quality to put him in the canon. Um so yeah, um I'm going to go with that first statement. Uh, Rachel loses all those points and Surprise. gets sp- more water spilled on her from the cult of Spielberg. <laughs> the end. But you look at something like Saving Private Ryan, which the, I do, the guess bookends. What? I don't like Saving Private I, Ryan. I, it's fine. Uh, that's fine. The bookends are not good. The bookends kind of ruin that movie, right? But you look at the opening mm. storming of Normandy. He didn't storyboard any of that. They got onto the beach, like, and he worked it all out on set. The camera movements, everything in that is just, it just shows a craftsman at the top of his game. Yeah, he did really good in, in for about what twenty two minutes of that film, and the rest <laughs> of it can go down the toilet. Sure. Okay, the rest of it, just throw it all out. You're right. Uh, please, you're right. I won this please. argument. I don't even know. He why. did kind of do the CGI de aging thing before the Irishman. So it's kind in of what? a thing. Matt Damon in the bookends, Saving Private Ryan. Oh, that was it's just an impressive transition. Well, I mean, it's just you, know, you find a. Like an old guy who looks was like Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah, it was a different guy. Which is not hard to do. You can probably find one right now at Brookwood Mall. Oh, my God. <laughs> what it is time for reflections. Wind chime. Calm. I'm feeling it. Um, okay, so actually a fairly, you know, reflections can get a little serious. This is a somber one. This is a somber one. So um, for fans of Kyle's Corner... Uh, we are so sad to tell you that um, we will be discontinuing Kyle's Corner. Boy, that sounds really dramatic. Maybe I should say it this way. Um, Kyle McKinnon is not going to be doing Kyle's Corner anymore. He is actually stepping away from Sidewalk a little bit um, to to spend – he actually wanted me to say to spend uh, spend time watching Roadhouse with his family just every <laughs> single night. Um, 
but no, he's <clears throat> he's actually stepping away from sidewalk a bit. He's gonna still do some stuff with us, but um, but yeah, taking taking a break. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, we'll miss having him around. He'll still be around. He you will know, still be he'll around. Be, so. He'll be at the cinema and 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 still working a little bit with us, but um, stepping away from the podcast, stepping away from um, most of his programming uh, duties, I'd say. Yeah, he's still going to do like a Thursday night um, at the cinema, um, what we're calling or what he's really calling the Cinema Guild, right? Is that yeah. what it is? And by the time that you hear this, that program may have already begun. And he'll yeah, he'll be around a good bit. But, you know, um, Kyle and I have been working together now, <clears throat> part, programming partners for 14 years. So it's quite a long time. And, you know, one thing I'll say is like, this is, um, you know, I, I'm not trying to be all dramatic about this or anything, but um, it, it is, or, you know, like I'm very privileged to work in film. Like I'm very privileged to do anything in this world. I, I, I think I realized, and I'm not trying to make this about me either, but um, but here I go. Um, I, I think I realized when I got out of film school and, and pretty quickly, quickly as in like maybe the year after film school, I realized I wasn't going to be the filmmaker that I thought I was going – the successful filmmaker that I was hoping to be and thought I was going to be. And I really went down a road of like, oh my gosh, you know, this – the film didn't get – my film that I made didn't get into Sundance and it didn't get into – it got into some like regional festivals. But it wasn't it, – it wasn't going to be, a, you know, my next step kind of project, right? And so I kind of – I went down this this very – had like a real crisis and, and came, came to the decision at one point that I was like, you know, if I can do – anything related to film whatsoever, um, I'll be fine. Like, I don't have to be a filmmaker. I can do any number of things. And as long as I'm thinking about film and talking about film, I'll be good. And that's all I really care about. So, I, I mean, I feel very privileged to, to work for Sidewalk, to, to teach film, to do anything film-related, and to be able to talk about film on a daily basis. Because when I'm not able to do that, I'm, I'm very unhappy. Yeah. Um, and so I, I say this with all, um, you know, with all of that in mind, and that is that I don't know that people really realize what kind of a toll that programming can take. Um, it's very time consuming. It's very alienating. Um, it can be really dark and depressing. Uh, I mean, I understand, like I met some of my students, uh, father once and he was a chaplain at, at a hospital. And mm-hmm. so he basically goes to the bedside of people who've just lost somebody and I just, I can't even imagine, first of all, the importance of that kind of work, but also just what a day like in that world must be, um, what, what must be like. I mean, really, really difficult. And so I, I'm not suggesting that, I mean, lots of people do really, really tough stuff. But um, it, it, I mean, there's a lot of content that we're constantly com- coming into contact with that can really bum you out. Yeah. I mean, it can really put you in a, in a crazy place, um, in a crazy headspace. And, you know, uh, we put ourselves out there a lot. There's a lot of rejection actually in programming. There's a lot of wanting films and being told no. And there's, there's just a lot of stuff to it. And so, and I'm not suggesting that's, you know, part of why, why Kyle's stepping away. I think he's, you know, truly stepping away a bit to spend more time with his family and to, you know, it's 14 years is a long time and to do some other stuff. But I, I just want to acknowledge that, that, you know, he's done a lot of hard work and the work can be more time consuming and more, sort of take up a lot more headspace than one might think. Yeah, it's a difficult gig. Um, but 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 I will say, you know, and I, I had a chance to chat with Kyle a couple days ago. Um, you know, the, the work that, that you two together, you know, did, um, I mean, that's part of what drew me to Sidewalk in the first place, right? First as a journalist covering Sidewalk as a student and then later as a professional and then, 
you know, I was fortunate enough to join the team. I just wanted to be involved in some way, you know, um, and, and that is in large part due to what you guys brought to programming. And well, thank um, you for saying that. Well, no, I mean, it's, it's absolutely true. And so, you know, it, it, it's not like we're losing Kyle, right? He's not really going anywhere, but he's stepping back. And, and I think that that's, um, you know, it, it, as this might sound dramatic, uh, but it, it, after 14 years of that, it, you know, sidewalk is is losing a little bit of of what made it, I think, mm-hmm. such a such a, a a local institution and sort of this growing, uh, still growing, I think, film festival in the national scene. Um, so so I you know, and on a personal note, I you know, I liked having Kyle around. He's a he's right. a fun guy to talk to. So, but I mean, again, it's not like I couldn't do that any other time anyway. I could just text him. Yeah, I feel like. Kyle's going to be able to contribute his input even yeah. when he doesn't really want right. to. That and that's what so I told I, him yeah. too. Yeah, I think you know we'll still we'll see, still see the thumbprints of Kyle on the programming. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit different and and, and growing pains and changes. Yeah. And so we'll we'll see and we'll be replacing that segment with um, with another. We're going to try to do a segment that we're sort of still working on, but um, that will involve people other than us. Right. We recognize that it's such a relief to sometimes have somebody else's voice here. And so we're working on that, and we'll um, we'll have something that will oh, it will never replace Kyle's corner, but it will come in and, and be a different segment with different voices in it. So, yeah, yeah. So that's reflections. Did oh, that was really that was like the Brady. That was like the Brady <laughs> moment when his voice cracks. That's just me being sad. Yeah, uh, sad wind chimes. Wind chimes. And now a look at what we're watching this week. Corey. Yes, Rachel. What are you watching? Oh, well, I've been watching a lot of stuff recently in preparation, trying to cram movies for the end of the year. Um, Gotta see everything. Gotta see everything. I've been trying to. I've watched a lot of stuff that I didn't like, but I want to focus on a movie that I really, really do like a lot. And it's a movie that, as of the time of this recording, is scheduled to open at the Sidewalk Film Center and Cinema. By the time this episode drops, it probably will have already. I'm talking about Parasite, Bong Joon-ho's yeah. Yeah. Uh, latest film arriving with a Palme d'Or win out of Cannes and a whole lot of hype. Um, I, the hype is justified. I love this movie. I think this movie is extraordinary. Bong Joon-ho um, is the director of sort of tonally varied movies like Snowpiercer and The Host and Okja, um, which have made mild splashes in sort of the weirdo foreign indie movie scene. Parasite, I think, is the one that um, stands to break out, I guess, even though it is made in his native South Korea and is a foreign language film. Um, it is the story of a, an economically struggling family who insinuates – uh, their way into the lives of a wealthier family by taking positions in this wealthier family's household uh, through fraudulent means. Um, there are far more twists than that plot summary indicates. Um, this this movie is diabolical. It's ingenious. It's a filmmaker who has the audience in the palm of his hand the whole time in a way that feels to me Hitchcockian. Um, you nice. come out of a movie sometimes um, – you know, and you think to yourself, I've just seen something that, that is truly going to be sort of held up as as one of the greats. Um, and Parasite is that. I'm trying to st- 
just to be pretty vague about it mm-hmm. because it is the sort of film please, that yeah, is – Yeah, please do. It's, it's best experienced not knowing too much about it going in because it, it will take you on a real ride. But it is – you know, absolutely indelible. And for me, and this is tough because we were talking about this very briefly the other day, it's been a hell of a year for film. It really has. I mean, this is a great, that's actually what I'm, I was going to mention in my, what I've been watching and because it has just been such an exceptional year. This, this for Bad me. Bad politics make for, make for great right. cinema. This for me is right at the top of that list. But another movie that, that I saw a little while ago that you just saw recently, I think is, is, Knocking on the door right below mm. it. Um, I don't know if that's what you were going to talk about. Talking about Portrait of a Lady Portrait on of fire. a Lady on Fire. It is, is one of the things. I'm actually going to hit three really yeah. quickly. Um, but Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I saw it at the Indie Memphis Film Festival. Yeah. Um, was really pleasantly surprised. Not that I thought that I wouldn't love it. I just, you know, I wasn't expecting to love it as much because it's been, it's that sort of thing of like, Okay, well, I've been going for seven or eight days now, and I've been to restaurants, and I've had a lot of good meals. At some point, I'm going to hit a bad one. Right. You know, I'm sort of thinking about maybe like a city like New York, or if you're on vacation, eventually you hit a bad one. Yeah. And so, you know, I keep being surprised that I'm watching films and being like, well, damn, there goes number two moving down the list. Now, Parasite is number one on your list right now. Am I correct? Yes. So Portrait of a Lady on Fire is like number three or four on my list. I mean, it's just really, really ex- – and that's a strong list, yeah, by the way. Yeah, it's probably number two for me. Yeah, It is it's, exceptional. I think it's an extraordinary movie. Beautiful to look at, um, wonderfully performed. Again, I'm, I'm also not going to tell too much about this either because I do think just go along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully we'll, we'll get that land of the sidewalk cinema. It is gorgeous um, filmmaking, just really a, a treat. Um, and then the other couple I'll mention really quickly, um, The Lighthouse, which we're, which we're screening at the Sidewalk Cinema. And uh, I, I will also say that that's one. Just jump in there. Go along for the ride. Let us know if you if you love it or you hate it. Not a lot of people falling in the middle there, right. I don't think. I don't think so. Um, and I really uh, – the only thing I will say is I just appreciate that um, the director here took uh, took sort of this one particular approach, this one particular style, this one particular mood um, – and just nailed it to the ground. Yeah. Um, and was just relentless with, uh, br- you know, bringing this sort of one thing. I mean, it's a complicated film, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that it's, you know, it's just a simplistic one thing. It's a very complicated film in many ways, but in many ways, it's just isolated and weird and sort of hitting this one particular note uh, over and over and over again. Um, and yeah, I, it really exceptional. Yeah. Couldn't be happier um, to be screening it. And then the last one is not on a list of anything good at all. As a matter of fact, it's on a list of some of the worst shit I've ever seen. I came home the other night. I was really exhausted but not quite ready to go to bed. And so, of course, what do you do then? You watch a film. And I was like, you know, I haven't seen this particular film. And it was it was rammed down our throats in many ways with the trailer and so on and so forth. And it wasn't expecting to like it but was not expecting to feel as angry as I was about the fact that they threw millions of dollars at this thing. And that is the long shot. Oh, the Seth Rogen movie? Can you – have you seen it? Yeah. Can you explain to me why this is okay? It, there is only five minutes of a good film in there. Every joke misses. The five minutes of the good film is that basically they they, they take MDMA and – Right. I mean everything about it is impl- – and I do appreciate that. I appreciate this sort of – you know, if you're going to go there and you're going to make a ridiculous film about, uh, you know, the Secretary of State, right? Am I, am I, I was very sleepy when I watched this. Yeah. But Secretary of State falling in love with um, a – you Seth know. Rogen. Seth Rogen. Exactly. Yeah. Seth Rogen. And the Secretary of State is Charlize Theron. Right. So there's a bit of a discrepancy I mean, there. There you go. 
So anyway, that, you know, if it's a, that implausible, then yeah, take it there, I guess. And so this sort of idea that, that she would be like, I want to, you know, I want to do ecstasy and, and they, t- and they take MDMA and then she like gets called onto an emergency sort of moment. Yeah. And her, I mean, I think her performance there is, is pretty good and really, and really ridiculous. Um, and she's, you know, the whole time wearing an M&M t-shirt. So that's about the funniest five minutes of this film. Everything else, I'm just like, what? I'm screaming at the screen, like, how the fuck did you get made? Well, I, I didn't have that reaction to it. Wow. I, I thought it was okay. Whoa, you're so kind. Um, and But I think it's it's mostly okay because of her. I think she's you know, that five minutes is probably the high point of the movie. I think she's pretty good throughout the movie trying to sell, you know, a pretty well, she's ridiculous gorgeous. Si- I mean, si- situation. But yeah, she's she's Charlize Theron. Right. She's really great at acting. And, right. You know, is a good screen presence. And I, and I think she's adept at the sort of broad comedy that this calls for, too. This film is so, – I can't believe that you're showing any kind of support for this thing. I mean, I thought it was it okay. It is so bad. I mean, I don't even know where to begin with how bad it is. There's just jokes that I'm just – look at my face right now. Nobody on this podcast listening can see me, but you can – like, this is what my face looked like the whole time. She's turning purple. I don't know what's happening. I it's, look like a William Morris God, agent. I'm God. just like <laughs> angry and mad. I'm just like, what in the hell is going on that this movie got made? Anyway. Uh, it's probably not any more any reason to spend another minute on that damn thing. But yeah, that's what I'm watching. Okay. Well, sounds bad. And now, fast film terms. Fast film term. I think you can do it faster and probably better. That was fast film terms. Thank you. Uh, that was a really weak. Mine was just a pathetic little fast. Film. Yeah, it sounded like it was kind of just <laughs> like air coming out of a tire. Barely. <laughs> Thanks. That would just be my mouth. Um, anyway, so do you know what, Corey, do you know what a video village is? Yeah. Um, so it is a place for uh, directors to view what uh, – some of the footage that they have uh, acquired on set under like a little tent on yep. the set itself. So you don't have to rely on screening dailies, you know – a long time later, even though you probably will do that as well, you can go ahead and see um, what it looks like, roughly speaking, on a monitor in the in what they call the video village. Yeah, um, and so it's like a little staging area. It's a po- like a pop up tent, little staging area that basically connects um, any the monitors that are in there to the camera feed. Sure. And so yes, oftentimes the director will be in there. You're absolutely right. But oftentimes um, the director might even be with the camera, and video village would be a place for sort of folks on who have input on the film, but maybe not direct creative input to be able to watch a monitor feed. So, for example, we've talked about a script supervisor before. Yeah. A script supervisor might be in there watching for continuity and so on and so forth to keep, you know, f- 10 people from just staring over the shoulder of a director. Gotcha. Um, and so, yeah, that's what, that's what Video Village is. And, cool. Uh, and, of course, not a, you know, not every production is going to have that, but um, certainly bigger ones would and even, even sort of the bigger indies would have a, a Video Village. So that's what it is. I also think it would be a great name for a video rental store. Yeah. 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 So that's what that is. Best right. terms. Sounds good. And now we'd like to welcome Charlie Brown Sanders the third to the studio for his segment, Film History Minute with Charlie Brown. Today I'd like to talk about the made-for-TV film, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the most popular televised holiday movie of all time. It aired for the very first time in 1964, and every year since then. The character of Rudolph was actually created in 1939 as part of an advertising campaign for Montgomery Ward, 
a large department store based in Chicago. The store had been buying and giving away coloring books for Christmas every year, and it was decided that creating their own book would save money and be a nice goodwill gesture. Robert May, a low-paid in-house advertising copywriter, was asked to write a cheery Christmas book for shoppers, and it was suggested that an animal be the star of the book. May selected a reindeer as the central character of the book because his four-year-old daughter loved the deer in the Chicago Zoo. In May's original story, written as a poem, Santa finds Rudolph while delivering presents to the reindeer village. Since no one remembers to leave the lights on for him, Santa trips and falls on his back. That's when he meets Rudolph and his glowing nose, and he invites Rudolph to help him with the rest of his deliveries. Other names were considered before May settled on Rudolph. Rolo was rejected for sounding too sunny and happy, Reginald for sounding too British, Romeo and Rodney were also considered and rejected. Also, instead of a red glowing nose, May considered giving Rudolph large headlight-like eyes, but he decided kids would be more likely to make fun of a red nose than huge eyes. The company gave out nearly 2.5 million books that year alone, and in 1948, Rudolph made his first screen appearance in a cartoon ad for Montgomery Ward. Robert May's brother-in-law adapted the poem into a song that we all know. Recorded by singing cowboy Gene Autry, it hit number one on the charts in December of 1949 and launched Johnny Mark's career as a songwriter. Although he was Jewish, Mark specialized in Christmas songs and had many, many hits, including Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree, A Holly Jolly Christmas, Silver and Gold, and I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. He also composed all of the music for the 1964 stop-motion production of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. The animated movie, created by Rankin Bass Productions, was commissioned by General Electric as part of their Fantasy Hour series. Scriptwriter Romeo Muller says he was unable to find a copy of Robert May's original book, which he would have preferred to use. Instead, he crafted a variety of characters to turn the two-minute song into an hour-long broadcast. To bring the story to life, Rankin Bass used an animated style they called Animagic, led by Tatito Machinga, a pioneer of Japanese stop-motion animation. Led by Tatito Machianga, a pioneer in Japanese stop-motion animation. His team spent days studying wild deer to observe the movement for their animation and to inspire their image of Rudolph and his setting. They also crafted multiple versions of all the puppets for different scenes. Ultimately, it was a tremendous investment for a TV special in the 1960s, taking 18 months and 22 room-sized sets to produce at a cost of what would be $4 million today. In 2006, the puppets for Santa and Rudolph appeared on Antiques Roadshow. Apparently, a woman who had worked for this production company had stored them in her attic since the 70s. To date, they are the only two that have been found. Surprisingly, the first airing of Rudolph in 1964 generated angry letters because... Even though Rudolph, Hermie, and Yukon promised to return to the Island of Misfit Toys, they never do. So the next year, a short scene was added in which Santa delivers the misfits to their new homes. To make room for this new scene, another scene was cut, which has led to lasting confusion. When Yukon Cornelius throws his pickaxe into the ground and takes it out and licks it, he's checking neither for gold nor silver. The deleted scene shows that Yukon was, in fact, searching for an elusive peppermint mine. And lastly, one question that has been pondered for decades, why is Dolly for Sue, apparently a perfectly ordinary doll, living on the island of misfit toys anyway? The official answers from Rankin Bass are, according to Arthur Rankin Jr., 
Her problem was psychological, from feeling unloved, while Jules Bass was quoted as saying, I don't know, maybe she was an alcoholic or something. All right, let's go! Big, big bucks, today's my day, let's go! Big bucks, no whammies, no whammies, big bucks, big bucks, here we go, stop! Storms are coming, Rachel. It's time for the filmmaker lightning round. Today... Brad, I'm saving you time here. <laughs> That's sound effect. I'm like Justin Timberlake. It's, I can like... Justin Timberlake can make He can do noises. all kinds of stuff, including beatbox and do like funny noises with his mouth. He's I just very thought you were like the police gentleman. academy guy. Like, um, <laughs> God, what's his name? I wouldn't be in this room with you if I was. You'd be, yeah. I'd be performing sound effects into a microphone. Swimming somewhere. in a Scrooge McDuck style <laughs> vault of gold coins somewhere. Um, anyway, sorry. Uh, we're only, uh, we're, we're, we're taking a look at a filmmaker who only has four films today, but, um, nevertheless has managed to, uh, acquire quite a following with these four films. We're talking about the filmmaker Spike Jones, um, who came out of skate videos and music videos to, um, make, um, four feature films, um, which have gotten a lot of attention and I guess you could say notoriety over the years. So, so Rachel, let's start. What's a Spike Jones film you love? Uh, being John Malkovich, right? Yeah, that's a pretty, pretty, it's easy pretty call. up there. I think it's really and and you know only four features, but man, that that guy has made a ton of music videos, just a yeah. ton of them. Um, some of them good, some of them not so good. But regardless, you know he's he's prolific in that world. Uh, I wish he would make more films. I do too. Uh, I think he's got a vision, and I, I think he needs more than four at this stage in his life. Um, but yeah, I think being John Malkovich is is clearly at the top of my list, and um, just super imaginative, really mm-hmm. interesting. I feel like most people have probably seen it at this point, but if you haven't, that's definitely one. Like I just think you just have to see that film at some point. Yeah, it's great. Um, but my answer for this question would be another one. One of my favorite films of all time is his follow-up to being John Malkovich, Adaptation, also mm, okay. written by uh, Charlie Kaufman, a sort of meta adaptation of, of Susan Arlene's book, The Orchid Thief, which I also read and is very good. Um, I love Adaptation. I love Nicolas Cage, as we've already discussed on this podcast, and and I think Meryl Streep and Chris Cooper are – just about as good as it gets. I'm judging by your knowing smirk that this is one you don't like. So let's just. No, I do like it. But it, when you ask me this next, ask me, go ahead and let's move to the What's next What's a question. movie that you don't like as much as other people? Adaptation. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I think my, you know, my expectations were really, really high yeah. for that film. And that's probably why. I don't think it's, I mean, I like this film. Do not, do not get me wrong. I just think that it's probably f- the furthest down the list of the four. Mm. And. And again, because my expectations were really high and it just didn't it didn't do everything I wanted it to, I guess. So for me, um, my answer to this would be the film he made after adaptation where the wild things are, um, which is a movie that I've always admired. I've admired sort of the the just bravery of attempting to adapt this little picture book into a feature. But it never really connected with me emotionally on the level that it connected with a lot of other people. Oh, you know what though? Actually, let me let me 
change my answer maybe a little bit here because I had just forgotten that that was one of the ones that we're looking at here. Yeah. Um, because I hate that film so much that it's Ooh, been pushed out of my mind. Hate. So we can maybe five minute fight that later because I was so, okay. So it's one that I would say, I didn't even know people liked it. So I yeah. probably wouldn't have chosen people it for that really answer. Like oh, come on. People really this like film it. is terrible. It, it really is bad. It's not terrible. They ruined my favorite book as a child. Mm. Spike Jones ruined my favorite book. I don't like it at all. I was so, so psyched up. They got me with that trailer to the Arcade Fire song. Yeah, and I was like, oh, man, it's going to be so good. And then it was a bummer. So anyway. Yeah, it's a bummer. I wouldn't even put it on a list of like, what's the film that, you know, you don't like as much as others. I just put it on a list of what's the film that you do not like by this director. Hmm. Anyway. Well, I don't know where to go from there. Um, <laughs> Is the, the Watch Again. What film yeah, do you need to yeah, watch yeah. again? Yeah, yeah, Which one do you, need, do you feel like you need to watch again? Um, Probably Three Kings. He didn't do that one. I thought he did. He starred in it. I thought he directed that. That's directed That's by I'm... David O. Russell. Okay. Well, then, yeah, I definitely need to see probably adaptation again. Yeah. Um, I, I guess my answer is Malkovich. Um, though the only other movie that he directed that we haven't mentioned so far is Her. With, oh, with my gosh, yeah. No, I, and I, it's it's great. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I just feel like I should say that. Um, I haven't seen that in a, in a couple years and feel like I should get a viewing of that yeah. in just because I love it so much. But I haven't seen Malkovich in a long time, um, and uh, I feel like you know I, I'm I'm not only just a fan of of Jones as a filmmaker, uh, but Charlie Kaufman, the screenwriter, obviously, mm. who has had his ups and downs in his career, winning an Oscar for uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, the Michelle Gondry film, and then directing his own movie Synecdoche, New York, which is a movie that I adore, but went yeah. nowhere. People, yeah, it's an interesting case, isn't it? People didn't like it, and he's only made one film between now and then, the stop-motion animated Anomalisa, mm. uh, but apparently he has a film coming out for Netflix next year um, based on a book called I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which I had just read, uh, and I'm pumped for anything that Kaufman wants to do. Anyway, that's sort of a corollary because yeah. Kaufman and Jones haven't collaborated since Adaptation. Um, I sure hope they do again one day, though. I think those two bring out a lot in one another. Um, so I'd like to see that happen again. I, yeah, I might. I might say that I would see her again too. I mean, I I I only seen it once. Yeah. So and I really liked it when it was in, in the and I saw it in the cinema and I really I really liked it a lot. Um. Anyway, but it's also one that man, it felt a little tough for some reason. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. felt a little like. I mean, as a lot of the work. Just really heartbreaking in a particular way, but um, you know, it's kept me from going back to it. Right. But maybe I should because, um, and I have seen being John Malkovich very recently because I played it for my students who really, really dug it. Did they? So um, I yeah. Anyway, so maybe between her and adaptation, um, because again, my expectations wouldn't be the same as they were, and right. then, and then just you know, having gotten Three Kings wrong, I still like want to see that again. We should talk about David O. Russell one day, though. That's a because, good one. Um, I was thinking about him the other day. This is again kind of a corollary, but he's had a really interesting career. Um, gone from sort of indie darling to studio comedy villain um, over the course of like oh, his yeah Sam yeah his um. Uh, well, Joy, I guess, kind of ruined his career, even though you like that movie. That's what I was going to say, Sam. Make a, make a note because I actually really like Joy a lot. Okay. We have to fight and about that. Corey really doesn't I like really it. I really don't. I don't hate it, but yeah, I like we, it a we lot. Need to, we need to fight about that. 
I, I'll be willing to rewatch that just so I can find okay. it. Anyway, Spike Jones. This was not much of a Spike <laughs> we, Jones lightning we, round. We but, went on it. We went on a bit of a tangent there, but, but he's great. Even where a lot of things are, is pretty pretty good. I'm very excited right now though because we can argue later about a film that stars America's Sweetheart, Jlar, and I'm going to be on the positive side. So maybe I can redeem some of my hatred of folks from you know ripping it, yeah, clawing maybe, down the face maybe, of Spielberg. Maybe. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. That that that. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> I tried something there. Corey's gonna wrap us out. That that that. Go uh, pick uh, it up. Uh, up, uh, up, uh, up. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I just said like 97 successive uhs, which I was specifically warned against doing. I'm sorry. Shocker, um, y'all. Yeah. Corey can't rap. Who would have ever guessed? I don't know. Uh, just by looking at me and listening <laughs> to how I speak, I, I guess that was pretty obvious. Uh, thanks for listening to Side Talks. Uh, you can check us out on social media uh, at uh, Sidewalk Film on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, send us a note, a message, say hello, you know, hashtag side talks. Um, hashtag Corey's wrong. We're your own cinematic. Oh. Yeah, here we go. You ready? We're your own cinematic Kanye West, Kim Kardashian, and Taylor Swift. You're, you're both Kanye and Kim at but, the same time. And I'm Taylor Swift. So I'm going to let you finish, but I don't know where to go with that. Um, Jeez. Okay. I uh, lost my hashtag. Train of thought. I stand with Taylor Swift. Hashtag. Nobody is surprised by that. <laughs> uh, thanks to uh, Splash ninety six for our great uh, theme song. We love it so much. And uh, thanks to Beltwell Studios for making it sound good um, and producing the hell out of this show, adding all kinds of goofy sound effects when Rachel asks for them. Yeah, it truly. Thank you very much. And also um, check out SidewalkFest.com, as we've already mentioned, but specifically for our movie show times at the Sidewalk Cinema. We're showing some great stuff and continue to we'll continue to do that until the unforeseeable future. So. Yeah, so this is probably dropping sometime in December, I guess. Um, Lots can, you of... You can probably cut that out because it will be, <laughs> it will be dropping in December or it won't be. Uh, anyway, we've got a lot of great movies coming up at the time that you are listening to this, so check out our website. Um, Movies, for, we got them. We do, we do, for, for listings and uh, upcoming events. We're really happy with the lineup that we've got so far. Uh, so anything else? Uh, Bye. Okay, thanks, Tay-Tay. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise. <laughs>